Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. This week on the podcast, we are going to talk with Marty Vermeer, Grain Farmers of Ontario Senior Agronomist. Marty is going to give us a wrap-up of the planting conditions farmers face this spring and talk about some of the insects and diseases farmers could be facing this summer. But first, a quick update on what's been happening with Grain Farmers of Ontario since our last podcast. The initial payment prices for the six wheat pools managed by Grain Farmers of Ontario have been announced. You can find the amounts listed on our website, gfo.ca. The wheat pool allows farmers to diversify their risk. Farmers can move grain at harvest while taking advantage of post-harvest markets to spread out cash flow. Historically, the wheat pool hits market average or better, so it can be a good component of your marketing strategy. The pool return outlook has also been posted online. The initial prices act as an advance payment to this pool return outlook. The initial payment is typically estimated at 60% of the total net return to the farmer. The pool return outlook is then updated throughout the harvest season based on market conditions before further payments are calculated and distributed. On the government relations file, Grain Farmers of Ontario is a member of Canada's Ag Growth Coalition, which is calling on the federal, provincial, territorial agriculture ministers to begin implementation of a four-point plan for immediate action on national business risk management programs that will be more beneficial to farmers from across Canada than the programs that are currently in place. The plan includes an immediate adjustment to agri-stability to cover losses starting at 85% reference margins with no reference margin limits. Priority discussions on production insurance for livestock and horticulture crops, which are not currently covered under agri-insurance. BRM programming options that are meaningful and focused on program effectiveness rather than funding levels. And the establishment of an industry government technical working group that allows farm groups to actively participate in BRM data and impact analysis. The Ag Growth Coalition appreciates the work done to date in reviewing existing BRM programming and is now seeking meaningful action resulting from that work, which began three years ago. The application process is now open for the 2020 American Soybean Association Corteva Young Leader Program. Grain Farmers of Ontario is a member of the ASA, and that's why we're able to send one Ontario couple to attend the program each year. The two-phase educational program takes place in Indiana in early December and continues at the Commodity Classic, which this year is taking place in Texas in February. It's a chance to hone your communication and leadership skills, learn about the latest industry trends, and connect with soybean farmers from across the U.S. To apply, go to soygrowers.com and put in your application by September 3rd. You can also go back and listen to Grain Talk episode number 20 with Aaron McQueen, who was the 2019 Young Leader participant, if you want to hear more about his experience with the program. Now, my conversation with Marty Vermeer. Joining us on the podcast this week is Marty Vermeer, who is the new senior agronomist here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us today, Marty. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Now, Marty, as I mentioned, you're the new senior agronomist, and that's a new position here at Green Farmers of Ontario. Can you tell us a bit about what it is that you exactly do here? Sure can. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, this is a new role, um, and this role is developed to bring technical expertise internally to the Green Farmers of Ontario um, in the field of agronomy for, for barley, corn, soybeans, oats, and wheat that we specialize at Green Farmers of Ontario. And so what, what do you think you'll be doing then on, on sort of your day-to-day? Are you going to be interacting with farmers, with industry? 
Yes, the, uh, the interactions uh, as a senior agronomist is highly engaged in the communication activities with the farmers, of course, and with the ag industry and with ag research, ag committees, and also with stakeholder groups within the agricultural field, really bringing the voice of the farmer to all these organizations to really say what's important for farmers in Ontario. Now, there's a lot of, I guess, hot topic issues that farmers are dealing with right now when it comes to agronomy. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations lately about the four R's, but there's also issues around uh, phosphorus loss and pesticide use. Uh, what are some of the key things that you're focusing on? This role is actually pretty broad, and it does cover off a large range of production-related topics uh, within agriculture, and grain production is a key one, of course, and and soil health. You mentioned the four R's and phosphorus management, but also pesticide resistance management, integrated pest management, precision agriculture. The topics do go on and on, and there is a lot of technical detail to agriculture nowadays, and really the senior agronomist needs to, to bring all those bring all that information, especially on the research side, and bring that forward that farmers can use and utilize that information to improve their practices. Now, when we talk about farming, Marty, um, for you, it's not just sort of a theoretical or uh, school learning. You also uh, are on a farm. You live on a farm. That's where you're joining us today over the phone from from home. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your farming background? Uh, yeah, I've um, been in the farming field since I was a young kid, grew up on the farm, um, attended uh, college, and then I attended University of Guelph and attained my Bachelor of Science in Agriculture, so I had an agronomy degree, um, and I've always enjoyed living and working on the farm. Uh, my jobs have taken me across the province, but really the farm is where you know my brother does the majority of the work, but we've integrated uh, no-till practices for about 25, 30 years now. And, you know, we, like most growers out there, ran across some complications and tried to improve it and, and tried a lot of different techniques on the farm. So I really do have that, you know, hands in the ground uh, feel for what goes on in agriculture. Um, I lose money and make money in farming as well. It's not a mainstay for me like most of the farmers in Ontario, uh, but I am engaged in the farming operation and totally aware of, of, of all situations and concerns farmers have. So what's involved on your farm? Uh, just crops or are there some animals? Um, well, for, the, for my young sons, uh, we do have some animals that uh, keep us active, but it's, but it's more of a hobby of their 4-H clubs. Um, we also, on the farm, we grow seed crops for soybeans and wheat and commercial corn. Um, now, when you talk about uh, farming for seed, uh, seed is part of your professional background. Yes. Um, over the many years, I've started in the agricultural field at a university, actually in this, with a couple of different seed companies. Uh, and over the time, uh, my jobs have, have ranged in different areas, but started in actually corn breeding, which is of interest because then you know what research, how it works, how it operates, what's involved in it and how development of inbred lines and hybrid lines to make successful corn hybrids. So I found that as a great um, background to to my agricultural career. And from there, I kind of went into the sales side of the business and then marketing, also went into trait development, helped launch Roundup Ready corn into the marketplace, and also done a, a fair bit of business management as well for seed companies. So did the kind of a full range and full gamut of uh, the agricultural seed business uh, across Canada. You mentioned uh, being involved in the launch of Roundup Ready Corn. That's pretty interesting, especially given the issues that are in the news right now with people being against glyphosate and, and perhaps the, a, a change towards not having that tool. From your perspective, uh, what do you think about that uh, current topic? 
Um, yeah, resistance management is a concern over the decades that we've had with any new technologies coming to market and something as we launch other new technologies, we always have to keep that in mind. Um, you know, same thing with the European corn borer and maritimes, we're running across some issues with some resistance management there. And um, with herbicide management, with different weed controls, we're also looking at combining different trait technologies and different herbicide packages to make sure we manage the resistance. Um, a lot of farmers nowadays that have run across those issues have, have learned that rotating their herbicide programs is so vitally important. We can't rely strictly on one technology or one herbicide, but having a combination of products that are fighting as a, as, as a, as a group or as a tool uh, together makes, makes our agricultural practices much better and sustainable long term. And when we talk about new technologies and seed development um, and, and new traits being developed, another uh, big topic right now that the industry is discussing is, is how to fund that new investment in research. What kind of conversations have you been involved with when it comes to um, that sort of return on investment when it comes to developing new technologies? And I guess it's more far-reaching than just new technology because it's extremely expensive when you take a look at what it costs to bring, say, a trade technology with all the regulatory hurdles. A lot of people don't understand all the hurdles. They think, oh, somebody just developed something in the lab, threw it on the market, and it takes more than 10 years to develop a product to successfully make it safe, bring it to the, to the uh, consumers um, and our end-use consumers, but also those that are using the products and making sure that it's high-yielding and provides value to our customers. But we also see the same thing when we're developing new lines or varieties, just genetic improvements over the time. It, it's not just somebody playing with some genetics and able to do it. It takes a team of people, team of equipment, and years and years of dedicated work. So, you know, developing a new wheat line or a new oat or barley line is extremely expensive and if, if people are just kind of repopulating the, the population and not purchasing seed, we have to find other ways of trying to fund this research because if there is no funding and we can't pay researchers, we can no longer do the research, so we can no longer do new development. We can no longer have new varieties or advances in agriculture. So it's, it's a real balancing act between making products you know, cost-effective for the farmer and also making sure that we can provide value in the entire stream for not only the end user, the customer, but also for those people that are developing the technologies. Everybody has to be successful, both the farmer, both the end consumer, and everywhere in between. Now, farmers have definitely recognized the value in the past couple of months when it comes to varieties that can you know, withstand uh, shorter season growing periods or, uh, you know, wet conditions like we've had this this spring that has delayed the planting. Uh, what have you seen out in, out in the fields this spring? I mean, when you, you just started here at GFO a couple of months ago um, and you kind of jumped right into this uh, awful spring planting season. I think the word everybody's using for 2019 is unprecedented. Um, the farmers were under extreme stress this year uh, planting uh, corn and soybean products and less than ideal conditions and just knowing what varieties and even the window that we've planted in compared to previous years is just unprecedented. Um, how much of our acres were planted in June this year compared to previous years? We probably had probably 80 to 90 percent of our crops were planted in June this year and typically we may have 80 to 90 percent planted in May and maybe five or ten percent in April. Um, really, this, this year with June planting and losing a month in the calendar, 
we will really find out in the fall, depending on our fall frost dates and where we are in the province, how we're going to make out. For sure, we're going to have wetter crops, later crops, and the yield impact of planting later because we have a shorter growing season. But when we get into a shorter growing season, we run, run across day length differences within our products too. So we planted in June, right when the day lengths were the longest, and now they're all get, all of a sudden getting shorter. So that plays with the physiological structure of the plant. So we're going to see some quite the differences this coming fall, whether it's taller, shorter, how the beans actually produce, the number of beans and pods, we're going to see a lot of difference that we've not seen before. And I think with the bean crop, with the majority of the bean crop being planted in June, and especially in Niagara, Essex, and Lambton County, with a lot of the beans being planted on the 25th or 24th of June, and that is uh, summer solstice, and that's when the days starting to get shorter, once those beans emerge and start flowering right away, we're going to see that this crop is going to act more like a double crop that we've seen in Essex County after planting wheat. So we're going to be losing, you know, 25% of our bushels right off just because we planted late. And then whatever our growing season is and the wet conditions we planted in and, and all the sins that we've done through the springtime, not of any fault of our own, but just the season that it delivered to us, uh, will be seen in the fall time. And it, it won't be pretty. We're already starting to see as well some impact on the wheat crop, um, the winter wheat crop that was planted uh, last fall. Um, when, especially when it comes to the trial plots that were planted, some of those haven't fared that well with first the winter conditions and, and now these spring conditions. What have you seen in talking to researchers? We yes, I toured one of the trials in Woodsley, Ontario last week, and um, actually we were fairly impressed of what we've seen. Um, we knew the conditions in Essex County with uh, late planted this year, not many fields survived. There's very limited amount of fields in the area that have survived that October planting. I believe that trial was planted October 22nd, so fairly late in October. Um, winter kill was actually fairly high throughout that trial. We've seen a lot of, of varieties at either 40 to 80% winter survival, so extremely high. Um, but we did see the plants tiller out, and they did spool out a lot better than we anticipated. We also thought with the wet weather that we'd see tremendous amounts of fusarium. We could detect fusarium at the plot in the unsprayed checks that we had, as we have um, in intense trials with fungicide application and high rates of nitrogen plant population, and then we have the, the non-intensified trials. And so there we can check, and no, we found a few varieties hit and miss here and there, a little bit of fusarium. It was still early. There's probably more coming this week that we start to see the effect of the actual infection of disease. So really this week and next week, we'll really start to see more if the fusarium infection is as bad as we thought it was. Um, but with this wet weather, um, it's proven time and time again over the years that we will get infections. So I know a lot of farmers have sprayed, and um, that is protecting the product that they still have in the field. It's not going to increase yields, but it's going to protect what they have so they can market it better. And when we talk about um, protection against fusarium, um, one of the issues that farmers are dealing with now is just the variable condition in their fields in terms of the different uh, stages that their crops are at. And what, what have you been seeing on actual farmer's fields outside of the research plots? 
and actually a lot of people wonder how we got there too and it's uh, you know the fall of 2018 planting we've actually seen a couple of different windows of planting and there's no doubt that earlier planted where the plants got established so those farmers that planted because they had an earlier crop than the normal let's say it was in the southwest it was peas or in the east it was a canola crop that came off early and they're able to get some wheat in usually the middle part of september um, those fields had nice weather conditions they got established we still had some warm temperatures they they grew they tillered out in the fall time they were established extremely well and then we got into some planting times not much after that I, we had a i think a week or two of wet weather uh, soybean harvest continued and then wheat planting progressed all the way through the end of september and october and a lot of growers i've talked to across the province have said it seemed like that first window their wheat established really well after that even though they may have seen green come we just ran into a really wet cold fall wheat development did not occur we did not see the growth so come springtime in 2019 our winter survival on those mid to later plantings really were weak and some seeds were just germinated and didn't even emerge earlier in the winter kind of march time frame when when the frost was starting to uh to alleviate out of the soils, we started to see seed in the ground that was still look like good condition, and everybody had promised or had hoped of the promise that the, the wheat was going to survive. But we noticed as the temperatures warmed up and continuous rainfall this spring that those seeds began to rot with the warmer temperatures. So we did not get the growth that we thought. Uh, winter survival and spring survival was uh, very poor in a lot of fields, and we've seen farmers, you know, cutting fields up, sectioning good sections that were maybe higher ground or sections that were tiled better. Uh, we do see a lot of variability in fields. Uh, a lot of people call it tile-run wheat, where right over top of the tile where it was drier, the conditions were okay, the wheat survived. In between the tiles, it didn't. It's the same thing in a lot of other rolling ground, the low-lying spots where there's lots of water damage. Uh, and even higher up in the side hills um, did not survive. So these fields have created a, a situation where farmers had to manage sections of fields differently. Um, some fields were left because wheat prices were promising and we couldn't get in early enough to plant our corn and soybeans, so a lot of fields were left. Um, that has brought about, you know, what do I do with this fields that are maybe have thinner spots and thicker spots, but what we also have occurred is that the maturity seems to be off. Um, because of the stress, it has delayed the growth of those delayed plants. Uh, what we thought were just weaker plants are actually delayed plants now. They flowered later, maybe a week later, so it made it harder for spraying or fungicide applications and when to time them, but we always time for the biggest part of our yield. So whichever part of the field we're trying to protect the most is what we're gonna target and spray for. And then it comes to, well, what do we do with this product come harvest time and we are going to see these products mature up uh, these wheat fields mature up um, the earlier plants are going to mature it's going to be ready to combine and we still have green heads in the field and it could hopefully be if you could manage it as separate sections of the field and harvest them separately and keep them separate and wait on the later plants go back a week later that would be ideal there will be farmers that will struggle with strips in their fields and will have some green seed at harvest and it's just timing in between what is the right time uh, if they can avoid some of those green seeds at harvest. Some people have talked about desiccating those green sections, if that's really worth doing or not. 
think about residue levels in your crop um, and make it a saleable product. We have to be careful of those things, read the label, follow label directions, um, but also when it's in the bin, we may have to turn some air on it, even though you may have some uh, dry, dry wheat, and you may also have some wet 25% green kernels. It will blend off. Some people say it'll blend off, but it all depends on percentages. So you have to watch it. You have to be so careful to manage it correctly this year. There's going to be lots of surprises out there. Um, it's not just going to be an easy trip to the combine and dump it into a bin and you're good for the year. It's got to be managed all the way through until you market the crop. So is this a year where scouting your fields is really going to be important? And would the use of technology like drone images help in making your management decisions? You could. Um, there's probably um, some technology out there that farmers may already have access to if they can access some drone footage and, and kind of map it into their computer with their combine so they can help kind of guide them. Um, combine operator can see it from the combine seat as well and just making those decisions on what sections of the field if they want to cut it. There's a lot of farmers already that are managing their fields with management zones uh, for fertilizer. And the same thing could be done at harvest. If you do a drone imagery and you see the different colors, you could manage that differently and and set it up. Um, So there are some technologies that could be utilized for that. Let's move on to talking about the corn crop this year. What have you noticed in the in the fields in terms of what's been planted or even what hasn't been planted? Yes, the uh, corn crop this year, uh, it also had a couple of different planting windows. Um, there, you know, we were off to a good start. We thought in May we were a little bit delayed, didn't have that April planting, but really thought that, you know what, maybe we'll things will turn around and things will be okay. In the first couple of weeks of May, there was maybe about 5% of the corn that got planted in the ground on the, what do we consider a a normal 100% yield target? And there's a few fields out there that you're starting to see really take off with this heat that we have right now in July. Um, But it's a very small amount of the acres. I think the next window occurred probably at the latter part of May, probably the Victoria long weekend. There was a couple of fields uh, that I know of, some growers that had some plantings during that time frame and just a week after that as well. And those fields are looking super super as well. I mean, um, just the fact that it was cool earlier on, those earlier planted fields, and the second planting during Victoria Day, not a huge difference between the two um, because of the cool weather. But then we started to see some warmth, but continual rainfall, and we didn't get a chance to plant any more corn until that June 8th and 9th time frame. And we saw a bulk of the Ontario corn crop going at that time frame, and everybody was going around the clock to get as much corn in the ground. I think we were really... It was so wet in June that we were surprised at how much corn did go in, and, and a lot of growers were happy they got the uh, corn in the ground. Um, and and the heat has come now. So some of that corn now is, you know, reaching that six-leaf stage or that, that V4 stage. Um, some corn was still planted after that time frame, and crop insurance deadlines are extended until June 17th, and there were still some farmers planting up into that when the weather allowed them to. It was really hit and miss across the province. We started getting more scattered showers. Uh, But this year, we just had rainfall across the province that just locked us in for quite a few days. And we may see the sun one day um, and then rain for a couple of days. And I think there was somebody in May who made the comment that um, there was only two days in a row they actually could see the sunshine. It was was never like a usual spring where, you know, we have a a week of good weather and we can plant. So the corn crop, uh, you know, got planted in about three different segments and it's sitting in different stages across the province. We are going to see 
a few early fields that'll do okay and everything will be fine, but we are going to have to manage this late crop. Um, a lot of farmers had adjusted their heat units, um, but we are talking about a shorter season. Day length is getting shorter. What happens when day length gets shorter, corn plants will get taller. So I anticipate, um, and, and we've seen this over the years, April planted corn, when it gets established, is usually a little bit shorter than the same hybrid planted in, say, the end of May for silage. And you see the, the corn plants love to compete for sunlight, so they will stretch themselves out. And as we get into shorter day length, um, the thoughts are we'll probably see more elongation in the stems of the corn plant. Uh, so you probably have a little bit taller crop. So my thoughts are probably when we get into fall harvest, keep an eye on your stocks. If you are, have hybrids that are susceptible for stock lodging, you got high populations, make sure you're managing those fields and be, uh, be in there early to harvest. It's also going to be a wet crop. Make sure you book in your energy, whether you're buying um, propane or you're buying gas. Um, probably a better better pricing opportunity right now than it will become fall time when the demand um, will really heat up because the corn drying will be up. So a lot of little things that farmers can do to help manage getting this crop off this fall. Um, and uh, there will be some different insects and diseases with this wet weather, but it all depends on what we get over the next two months. Let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, those insects and diseases then. We recently did a, a webinar with uh, Tracy Rowdy and with Albert Tenuta from Omafra uh, about uh, that topic and what to expect this year. Um, what is your sense in terms of what we heard on that webinar and, and basically what you've seen as well that uh, farmers should really be concerned about? Yeah, I think with what we're seeing in the maritime provinces um, with the new strain European corn borer and some resistance occurring, uh, we, we really do encourage all growers to, even though they have BT-tolerant corn hybrids, to keep an eye on their fields, uh, watch their fields if you see any suspect European corn borer damage. Uh, please report that um, you know, to your to seed retailer or you know, Tracy Bowdy probably has a hotline to phone in as well. Um, and uh, talking about corn and some of the other... Insects that have been problems uh, problematic over the years is western bean cutworm. Um, I, th I believe Tracy will be if you if you can have a chance to jump on and take a look at the webinar. Tracy has some great information about scouting and western bean cutworm, corn earworm, and when you get into soybeans um, with the bean leaf beetle and soybean gall midge, things to keep an eye on. And I think Tracy also mentions a little bit about true army worm. And when we get in a year like this, I think anything can happen. So keep an eye out for true armyworm. I know it's been a number of years since we had the armyworms kind of march across highways and police had to shut the highways down because they were so slick. But uh, I know talking to some people in agriculture, we remember those days um, back in kind of the Simcoe area and also around Payne Corps. Uh, they've occurred in the last 10 years and this is such a funny year, anything can happen. So be on, be on a lookout for those as well. And on the disease front, I mean, last year we had such a large issue with, with uh, dawn in corn and, and the challenge that that created for farmers uh, during harvest and marketing the crop. What should farmers be on the lookout for when it comes to the disease front? And is there anything that they can be doing to, you know, make sure something like last year doesn't happen again? 2019 is kind of setting up for one of those years where it's late planted corn and it's been wet and damp. Uh, just just right for gibberella ear rot um, so we can anticipate that we'll need to keep our eyes really open um, you know during pollination I, I believe the corn pollination period especially the bulk of the crop being uh, being planted so late probably going to be August time frame um, that we're going to see a lot of the pollinations occur typically we're third week of July 
but we're a couple weeks delayed now, so it'll be about at least 10 to 14 days later. So we're going to be into August uh, with our pollinations, and really the maturity of the corn is really going to be pushing into October because you need about 60 days after pollination for the grain to mature to reach black layer, 32% for physiological maturity. And we're going to have, if we continue to have kind of this wet, humid weather that we've been experiencing and still experiencing even though it's July now, um, we will need to keep our eyes open for dawn and be able to manage that like we did last year. When we're talking about diseases, we also have to keep in mind soybeans that uh, also saw a late planting. Um, any particular soybean cyst nematode, you've had a couple of questions come up about that. Yeah, a lot of farmers are kind of wondering, you know, with this wet year, is there maybe going to be less insects and diseases? And what does that do to our soybean cyst nematode population? Um, you know, consulting with Albert Tenuta, our specialist here in Ontario, uh, and, and Albert's, uh, you know, talk on his uh, webinar as well, if you go online and double check with on the webinar, you know, Albert will kind of go through that soybean cyst nematode, they're still there. The wet soil conditions, they don't kill it. The soybean cyst nematodes are still there. We still need to be aware of it. And my concern is that we're going to have such a late planted crop. We're going to have stressed plants. They're going to struggle this year. They're going to be short and small. You see certain sections of your field popping up that are yellowing and dying, and you're wondering what's going on. Ah, it's just wet, dry weather. Really have a closer look. You may, because we're going to be struggling this year, you're going to see the soybean cyst nematode where we had great growth before. Really, the populations were limited. This year, they're probably going to do a lot more damage than you expect. And you're also going to see that with sudden death syndrome. You're going to see some fields that maybe didn't have the pressure or the problem before. You're going to see it up here this year. So keep an eye on those soybean fields. You're going to see stuff popping up. White mold is kind of a, you know, wet weather. They say, what's going to happen? Well, it really depends on how much soybean growth we get, how dense that canopy is and the moistures when those flowers are pollinating. And right now, if beans are going to be just coming out of the ground and they're going to be flowering at the same time, the old joke right now is beans are flowering as they're emerging out of the ground there's not going to be much plant canopy there. So the stress earlier on won't be there. But if we get into August and we get some rainfall and we get some denser canopies, there is a chance for maybe some later white mold rearing its head. Um, and one other thing I should mention, Rachel, too, is that there's another disease in corn that's kind of coming across from Michigan and we're keeping our eyes on as well. That's tar spot. So GFO has been kind of working with the the disease specialists and working across North America and just keeping an eye on new diseases that are coming across. And that's one that we're going to be looking out into fields. And if you see anything at all this year that looks kind of suspect, you're not sure what it is, you're going to see it this year. Please reach out to a specialist, either your crop protection retailer, uh, if you can connect with Albert or Tracy or myself, let us know what you're seeing and uh, let's follow up with it. Now, another thing that we need to talk about is the fact that, well, a lot of people were delayed in planting. Some fields didn't get planted at all. I live in the Niagara region, and there's a lot of fields in my area that, uh, you know, didn't get planted. Um, So what should farmers be doing in that case if they just didn't get a crop in the ground? What should they be doing in terms of weed management or even prepping for, say, a winter wheat planting this fall? They have crop insurance. Uh, they should be notifying crop insurance right away, and I believe the unseated deadline is um, because soybean planting has been adjusted to July 5th, but make sure you're in contact with AgriCorps and let them know of your unseated acres so you can take advantage of the unseated acre benefit. And as far as managing your unseated acres, you really want to make sure you're not producing more weed seeds and building that population up into the field. So you want to make sure you're, you're keeping the weed pressure under control but you also want to build the soil up. Take this opportunity to 
make your soil better. Um, some farmers have run into the situation where they found that some fields dried up sooner than others. And a lot of farmers are talking, you know, is it the soil health? Why did some fields dry up quicker than others with the same soil type? It's not that, you know, one is a different soil. We, we are very evident that, you know, the lighter soils dried out quicker um, or they missed rainfalls or they have tile in the ground. But there are things that you can do with soil porosity with different cover crops to help that natural drainage of your soil and to build the healthier soil will really help how you can plant in the spring and how the soil will carry you in the springtime without rutting it up. So, you know what? A lot of farmers will say, I'll just work down. I've got equipment. I'm just going to work down the weeds. Is that really the best thing long-term for your soil? So think about building it up, and it's highly recommended um, as a cover crop. Um, there's different management strategies, and I hope that there's going to be some tutorials and some work sessions that a lot of farmers can connect with other farmers on what works in their area. Uh, oats is uh, highly regarded as a, as a great cover crop, especially if you want to go into, say, winter wheat in the fall time. You can plant oats. It's going to have less disease concern. I know it's a cereal. A lot of people say, do I have a disease issue? Uh, you can burn that off, plant your winter wheat. Um, there are different techniques you can do it. Or if you want to plant corn next year, get your soil ready for that. Maybe you want to put some legumes in your cover crop to build nitrogen levels in your soil for your corn crop next year. So there's clovers. There's a lot of different products that can be utilized as cover crops. And I think if you go to the OMAP website, there is um, a new release that they just put out there regarding cover crops for this year and what farmers can do to get it seeded once the ground dries up and they can plant some cover crops and manage that soil for next year. And if farmers are looking to plant a winter wheat crop, um, some of them might be thinking, hey, I'm going to get in pretty early, you know, to get that weed in the ground. Um, but there could be some potential issues if you plant too early, which farmers might not expect. Yeah, we, we just don't know what 2020 is going to bring us. It could be a hot, dry year. We could have a great, long fall. And if we went in in August and planted our winter wheat, uh, and all of a sudden it really thickened up and we planted our regular rates, just think how thick that winter wheat crop is going to be. Now, winter wheat will not go to head in the fall time. It needs to fertilize, so it needs that 4 degrees Celsius in order to for it to trigger before a head will develop. But you're going to have so much plant growth by planting it way too early that you're going to have diseases and insects to manage, and you don't want to do that. So really, September, take a look at September. It depends on where you are in the province. Take a look at what the right date is for you. I know a lot of people will say last year, earlier I planted the better. And take a look at the weather forecast. If it if it's forecasting the next month to be good and open, but if it gets to be like last year where no, it's going to be wet all fall, find your window of opportunity when the soil conditions are right and get the crop planted. A lot of people are going to tell you to watch the calendar. It's got to be planted on a certain calendar. But we all know farming is an art. We got to make sure the soil conditions are right. We want to plant the seed in the seed bed to have great seed to soil contact. We don't want compaction. We don't want sidewall compaction. We don't want to seal that seed in the ground. We want to put it in a nice seed bed where it can emerge, have no stress on it, and we want to time that properly as well. So there's no magic uh, date on the calendar for anybody. It's it's going to be watch the forecast, watch all your conditions, and uh, plan it that you don't have to manage your diseases and have to worry about how bad that crop could get you know snow mold is one of the concerns they have and there's other diseases too that you have to watch out for so just just be careful on your timing and planting well i appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today marty and we look forward to uh seeing what the season brings us thank you rachel thank you for your time 
Joining us on the podcast this week is CEO of Green Farmers of Ontario, Barry Semph. Thanks for joining us today, Barry. Hi, Rachel. So we want to talk first about the weather. That's always a topic that farmers like to talk about. But in particular, this season, it's really been on everybody's mind with those wet conditions that we had here in Ontario. It's dried up a bit the past week or so, but it's still tough out there. Yeah, it is. We, uh, I went for a bit of a tour on the long weekend down into southwest uh, Ontario. And um, uh, two issues. One is that a lot of farmers were still planting. And for, you know, July long weekend, that is uh, uh, very um, peculiar uh, for to see that in the as many as there were out there. And the issue is for uh, those that were planted already is that it's a late crop. So we're going to need a very uh, open fall for that crop to come in and get into the bin. So it's, uh, you know, as you said, the uh, the spring is just to uh, continue to be a uh, challenge in regards to weather. It started last fall with uh, with harvest and uh, just continues now in the last week, as you said, and uh, we're experiencing this uh, heat wave now. I've heard farmers, two or three farmers in different areas say, you know, we need a rain, and we uh, because now the root system is shallow, and um, and so they're going to need uh, uh, continued uh, ongoing showers to ensure that those uh, roots are getting some moisture. So yeah, it's uh, it has been a tough one to say the least. Now you're on the phone with us this week from your home farm in Saskatchewan, and we talked before on the podcast about how out west the weather conditions have just been the complete opposite this uh, spring, yeah, being yeah. so dry. Did you guys get any rain? Yeah, about uh, I guess it was the uh, second week in June we got uh, some significant uh, showers, but really nothing to that. And then again, it's spotty, but. Uh, and then third week in June, I think we had a general rain over Saskatchewan. For some crops, uh, uh, it was just in time, and uh, they'll do all right. For other crops, it was maybe a little late, and uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. It's a long way from the bin yet for either Ontario or the prairie, so uh, what happens in the next number of months is going to be really important, as it always is, but I think in this case, uh, even more important is uh, given how the uh, the conditions, whether it was too wet or too dry, how they'll uh, how they'll uh, roll out in the next few months. So uh, challenges all over the country. Now we mentioned the long weekend, and and that's often a time when politicians or those who want to be politicians get out. And we're looking to the federal election this coming October. We've got some election asks up on our website and that have also been mailed out to our farmer members. If people are out at various events over the course of the summer and meeting with those federal candidates or their current MPs, what sort of things should they be talking about? Well, I think the uh, the main message is that politicians shouldn't forget about the farming industry and how important the farming industry is to the economy of Canada. And... Uh, and again, sometimes uh, uh, even ourselves, we, you know, given that we're one to three percent of the population, you know, we uh, sort of subject ourselves that uh, we we don't or uh, won't have any uh, influence in the election. But given the uh, contribution to the economy that agriculture gives right across this country, uh, politicians should take this serious 
and um, and and consider the situation that agriculture is in to continue to contribute to the economy. The issue is that uh, you know with the tariffs between uh, China and the U.S. affecting soybean uh, markets here in Canada, you know. Uh, for a while, China was our biggest market for soybeans until we had some political issues take place on the West Coast. The issue now is we're pretty well unofficially uh, shut out of the Chinese market. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the European market, who we were big on soybeans into, has been, uh, has been zero uh, being shipped into that with the U.S. taking that market over. So... Uh, I think the issue for our members when they're talking to politicians is they can't forget um, the importance of agriculture in this country. And, you know, we've talked about a trade war fund. We've talked about, uh, you know, climate change, the elimination of a carbon tax and how it makes us uncompetitive, uh, the importance of business risk management. Uh, those are all uh, aspects of how they shouldn't forget agriculture. But a general message to politicians is, uh, remember how important agriculture is. Now, you've also been doing some work in terms of engaging on the international level. Recently, you were at the International Oilseed Producers Dialogue. Uh, can you tell us about that meeting and some of the conversations that were had? Yeah, this this is an international meeting that uh, happens in June uh, annually, and it's held different parts of the world. This year it was held in, uh, in London, England, uh, where about... Um, six or seven countries that are producing oil seeds, rapeseed, canola, soybeans come together from a producer perspective and talk about the issues, the challenges they respectively had and the opportunities. Uh, big issue this, uh, this year continues to be uh, the discussion of the environment and how much some of the uh, environmentalists are having impact on uh, accessing the tools that farmers need to grow oil seeds in a competitive fashion. France was there uh, talking about how they're being limited with the tools. The uh, England, you know, they did away with the neonics uh, back, oh, it's going to be five, six years ago. Uh, rapeseed production is pretty well uh, at zero because uh, because of that they cannot produce rapeseed in a competitive fashion given the loss of the use of neonics so uh, environment was the was the big main topic of the meeting this year and uh, and again how how farmers are losing these important tools to uh, grow a, uh, a crop in a competitive fashion so uh, that was that was big in the uh, in the discussion, along with the uh, the unrest in the trade issues between a number of different entities for for all kinds of reasons. Well, thanks for the update today, Barry. It's great to hear your perspective on what's happening here in Ontario and in other parts of the world. Thank you, Rachel, and have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests, Marty Vermey and Barry Senth. If you like what you heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.